Well, I've been preaching through the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and we have been focusing specifically on the chapters dealing with the life of Abraham. You see, in Genesis, the first 11 chapters of that book have a very wide-angle focus. They look at the major events from the beginning of the world that have an effect on life even to this day. But beginning in chapter 12 in Genesis, the focus narrows so that we're looking at this one man, Abraham, and his descendants. And so we're picking up this morning in Genesis chapter 17, continuing the story with Abraham. And what we find here probably puzzles us as we look at what God is up to. So we're in Genesis 17. You can open your Bibles or you're welcome to use uh, the scripture printed in the bulletin. Uh, There's also a sermon outline printed in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along or take notes in that way if you find that to be helpful. We are in Genesis 17, looking at the whole chapter this morning. Genesis 17, beginning in verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, 
As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised them in the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in his house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are a God who makes Himself known through the Scriptures. We thank You for Your inspired Word that is perfect. It does not err. It always accomplishes what You want it to do. And even though it's awkward to read or hear about at times, even though things just puzzle us often, It's good. And so we pray, O Lord, that You would work through Your Word today by Your Spirit in answer to our prayers that You would use me in spite of my weakness and sin to faithfully proclaim Your Word. That You would give us ears to hear Your Word and hearts and minds ready to receive it. And that You would work in us, O God, today, strengthening our faith in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So in Genesis 17, what I want us to look at today is there are three ways in this passage that I hope we see that God puzzles us. That we look at what God's doing and we're like, are you serious? Are you really God? This? This is what you want? We see it at least three different times. And so I want to point those out for us today and show that even though God does puzzle us, even though he is a bit unusual and unexpected at times, what he does is good and purposeful. And so the first way that God puzzles us in this chapter is with the magnitude of his gracious promises. Chapter 17 begins by telling us that Abram is now 99 years old. 
which means it has been 24 years since God first made promises to Abram to bless him, to make him into a great nation, to give him offspring and to give him this land. It has been 24 years of living as a sojourner. It has been 24 years with Sarai being childless. It has been 24 years, and the only offspring of Abraham's is Ishmael, whom he had with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, as we saw last week. And so after 24 years, it seems that God's promises to Abraham are more improbable than ever. He's 99. And yet God just goes and doubles down on his promises. See, before the Lord had said, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And now that he's 99, God's like, you know what? You're going to father a multitude of nations. In fact, I'm so sure that's going to happen. I'm changing your name to Abraham, which means a father of multitudes, even though you have no children of your own. And God says to him, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Exceedingly fruitful. He is 99. Okay? 99. And God's like, no, I'm not, it's not now. We're good. We, we got more coming. Kings shall come from you. So not only is Abraham going to have many descendants, but some of those descendants are going to be royalty. They will rule as kings over their people. And those royal descendants will come from Sarai, barren 89-year-old Sarai, who gets a name change of her own to Sarah. God says to her, I will give you a son by her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Are you serious? Really, God? We are well past childbearing years. And God is totally not phased by the obstacles. He still boldly makes big and bigger promises. And when Abram hears this, you just, you can't imagine what he's thinking. Just, what is going on, God? This is so unlikely, so unbelievable. My mind goes to, sometimes in like sitcoms, you see there's the parent who really struggles to keep promises to their kid. And so this parent, usually the dad, makes some big outlandish promise to their child and they end up not keeping the promise. And so what do they do? They make a bigger, well, I'll make it up to you and I'll do this. And you know, all it's doing is setting up that child for a bigger disappointment. And it's kind of like that's what God's doing here. But God keeps his promises. And it's not that God's promises have failed. It's just they haven't been kept yet. There's a difference. He didn't break any promises yet. He just hasn't kept them yet. Because God sometimes takes far longer than we would like to keep promises. When you look at all that God promises Abram and his family in chapter 17, it's really overwhelming. I'm sure Abraham and Sarah would have been like, you know what? We did desire children, but we're good. Like adding a baby to this mix in our 90s and 100s, maybe not the best idea. We are content living the last however many years of our lives, enjoying the blessings that you have given us. And God says, nope. And just like fire hose of blessings shooting at him. God had other 
plans. He had chosen to bless Abram and his offspring forever, and it doesn't matter how unlikely it may seem, it doesn't matter how undeserving they are, God is going to do what he has promised to do. Even if it seems overwhelming and huge. And that should puzzle us. In fact, we should be puzzled by the magnitude of God's promises to us in Christ. Who are we that the Son of God should die for us? Who are we that we should get to live forever with God in paradise? Who are we that we should be entrusted with the life-giving Word of God? Who are we that we should be blessed with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? Who are we that we should be able to call the God of the universe our Father? If you are not puzzled by God's promises of grace, then you need to ponder them again. And just how incredible they are. And how undeserving we are to receive them. So the first way God should puzzle us in this passage is just with His promises. The second way that God puzzles us is in the peculiarity of His required response. You see, God makes promises to us out of His free grace. We do not deserve these promises, but we do need to rightly respond to them in order to receive them. So imagine this really cool scenario. Someone writes you a check for a million dollars. Not because you did anything great. They just love you. Like, one million dollars. Here's your check. And you're like, yes. And so you like, put it on your desk at home and you run out and you spend all the money. That's not going to work. Your credit card's going to go bounce. Your debit card's going to say no funds. Because in order to rightly receive the gift, you have to rightly receive it. You have to deposit it. I don't think the little phone deposit app does up to a million dollars. You actually got to go to the bank, put that in the bank in order for that money to be given to you. Well, it's the same with God's promises. God is like, here is the promise. Here is the promise for you. It is a gift. And we are told we must rightly receive it. And in verses 9 through 10, God says, Abram, here is how you rightly receive it. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. What? Are you serious? This is the response that you require, God? Like, just imagine 99-year-old Abraham walking into the tent. Ishmael, guys, come on in here. Um, God said in order for us to receive the promises, this is what we got to do today. I, I just have to imagine there were just so many questions. Like, I... What? Really? Are you serious? Are you sure? Is this what you want? See, I imagine that circumcision was not what Abraham was expecting to be required of him. But as puzzling 
as this required response seems, it is actually a remarkable sign for God's covenant. You see, this response is both a major and a minor commitment. It is major in the sense that's a permanent mark on the body, signifying there is no turning back from following the Lord. But it is minor in the sense that God is not asking for anything especially difficult. It's not harmful to his people. It requires such minimal effort that it can be performed on an eight-day-old infant. And so it is both a major and a minor commitment. He's not asking a lot, but it is a lot. It is also a sign that is both public and private. It is public in the sense that it is a visible mark of belonging to God's people. But it is also private in that it is on the most intimate part of a man's body. And so while it is a physical mark that people could see, it signifies that it touches the deepest parts of our lives, that our relationship to God covers everything. The sign also points to our need to pass on the faith as it is on the reproductive organ, after all. And it reminds us that our faith should be passed on to the next generation, that this sign is then given to the next generation because they too need to follow the Lord. The sign also requires humility. In the same way that people today can be somewhat embarrassed to make a wholehearted public commitment of faith in Jesus, so also I would imagine that being circumcised was seen as a somewhat ridiculous and awkward way to say, I follow the Lord. And so it requires the humility of submitting to God's peculiar response that he requires. And finally, the sign points us as well to sin. For in this sign, blood is shed. And we see that blood must be shed in order for sinners to be in relationship to a holy God. It also pictures the consequence of sin, that if you sin and turn away from the Lord, that you will be cut off from the Lord like the flesh of the foreskin. And so the covenant sign that God gave to Abraham, it is a rich picture of many truths about our faith. Yes, it is awkward to talk about. It is awkward for you to hear about. And I'm sure many, if not all of you, are thinking, man, I did not expect to hear this much about circumcision today in church. Just really was not expecting that. Trust me, I was not like, man, I can't wait to talk about this. But it's in the next chapter, and that's what we're doing. We're talking about it because it's here in the Bible. It's God's peculiar response that he calls for from Abraham and his offspring forever. But for us as believers in Jesus today, we have a different sign for the new covenant that Jesus instituted. Our New Testament reading from Romans 4 described how circumcision was a sign and a seal of the righteousness that was given to Abram by faith. Well, this righteousness that we receive by faith is now signified through water baptism, which fulfills and replaces the old covenant sign of circumcision. 
Baptism is an equally rich sign of God's saving grace and of our commitment to live a new life for Him. Like circumcision, baptism is a sign given to believers and their young children that they belong to God's covenant people. But now it is a sign for both men and women. And it is a bloodless sign because the only blood that can save us is the blood that has already been shed by Jesus Christ on the cross that we look back to in baptism. We too are required to respond to God's promises with this covenant sign just like Abraham was. But we must remember that our hope is not in the sign, but what is signified. Our Old Testament reading and the New Testament one spoke about circumcision as a matter of the heart, not merely an outward thing. And so we do not trust that we are right with God merely because we were sprinkled with water or dunked under water. We trust that the water signifies our need of Jesus and that His saving work is what we trust. And we rightly respond by trusting from the heart in what baptism signifies. That God promises to bless us in His saving and cleansing grace in Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, God um, has some peculiar ways of asking us to respond to His grace. And that puzzles us. Well, the third way that God puzzles us is actually a way that I think we don't get puzzled enough about. That we should be puzzled that God notices us and insists we acknowledge Him. We see this in the very first verses here in Genesis 17, where God appears, He speaks to Abram, and He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before Me and be blameless. Abram is not allowed to send that call to voicemail. Abram is not allowed to say, no thank you, I'm good God. Like, you can be God Almighty, but I'm just going to go live my life. Abram responds in the right way. He falls down on his face, recognizing that God Almighty has invaded his humble life. And this response puzzles us because we live in a very narcissistic age where most people have an elevated view of their own importance. We assume that if there is a God of course, of course he should notice us. We're awesome. We're important. Like, we are significant. He should be thrilled if we choose to worship him. He should be so lucky as to have worshipers like us. And if we're not interested in worshiping God, well, he'll simply have to make do with other lesser people than us. Because we are free to live our own lives how we want. Now, that may be a bit of a caricature of our modern world, but I promise it's not that far off. That attitude is completely backwards from the command that God gives us in the Bible. The Bible reveals that there is an almighty God 
who made the heavens and the earth. And this God made us, men and women, in his own image. He created us to live as his people. And we are obligated to live for him as his creatures. We don't get to negotiate that relationship. We don't get to decline God's involvement. Whether or not we want God to exist, he does. And he sets the terms. One commentator writes this, When the great king comes and offers to establish a covenant with you, you really have only two choices. You can accept the covenant relationship on his terms and receive its benefits, or you can refuse it and face the consequences. You might be tempted to still be thinking, why does God have to worry about me so much? Why can't God just leave me alone? Why does God insist that I acknowledge his godness? And that's a very fair question. It's an honest question. And I'd recommend that before you try it out on God, you try it out on the IRS. Hey, Mr. Taxman, why do you care so much if I pay my taxes? Why can't you just like let me live in peace? That's not going to work for the IRS. It's not going to work for God either. Just as we owe taxes to the government as, his, as citizens of this nation, so also we owe worship and obedience to our Creator as His creatures. But God's way better than the IRS. Unlike the IRS, God offers much better benefits if we rightly respond to the agreement that He sets. Because God's covenant terms are not bad terms. They are abundantly good terms. Terms that we don't have to meet through our good works. Terms that instead are based on His promises to us that we must simply rightly receive through faith in the Lord. Faith like what Abraham showed. Falling down on his face, recognizing, God, you have rightful authority over me. You have every right to require this response from me. And we see that Abraham backs that up with immediate obedience. We are told in the last verses of the chapter that he, Ishmael, all the other guys in the house were circumcised that very day. Obedience could not wait. God commanded, it's time for us to obey. And he did that because he wanted those blessings. He knew God was offering him good terms. And you know what? This is a spoiler alert. God keeps all of his promises to Abraham. Every single one. God kept his end of the agreement. And Abraham received all those blessings by faith. This is the response the Lord seeks from us as well. God has made to us gracious promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He announces his desire to bless you in Christ. And all you must do is rightly respond to those promises in order to receive them. So how do we respond? We do not respond with a scoffing, skeptical, are you serious? I don't want to do that. Instead, we respond with an eager, overjoyed, are you serious? And we're amazed at how good God wants to be to us. 
And so the peculiar response that God is calling for from us is to repent, to turn from our sinful ways and turn to the Lord in faith, trusting that He will keep those promises He has made in the Gospel. And as a sign of that belief, we are baptized and we give that sign to our children that we belong as members of God's covenant family, as people who want to live for this Lord who has promised such wonderful blessings to us in Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that you would help us to rightly respond to the good news of the gospel, that forgiveness is available in Christ who died for us, that the perfect life that we continually fail to live is given to us through Jesus' perfect life, and the hope that we need to face death is given to us in the risen Lord Jesus, who promises that all who believe in him will live even though we die. So God, we do ask humbly that you would help us to respond rightly and help us to Trust in you that you will truly keep all of your promises in Jesus' name. Amen.